Welcome to Earth Matters, environmental justice stories from Australia and around the world, usually produced in the studios of 3CR on Wurundjeri Country in Melbourne, but today it's produced in isolation from neighbouring Boonwurrung Country, also in the Kulin Nations, and broadcast across these stolen lands via the Community Radio Network. I'd like to pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging from across these lands and acknowledge the continuing struggle for sovereignty and self-determination. I'm Megan Williams. Sharks aren't out to get us. You know, I think that if they were, and we were definitely on their menu a lot more, then we would be seeing many more attacks. Majestic, maligned and misunderstood. What can we learn from coming face-to-face with our biggest fears during times of global crisis? Australian waters are an ecological hotspot for our cartilaginous friends, with many endemic and endangered species of sharks and ray calling Australia home. Popularised by their big teeth and predatory behaviour, it's understandable that people fear these majestic creatures. But can they teach us resilience and help us connect with what's most important? Later in the show, I will be speaking with Dr Leonardo Guida from the Australian Marine Conservation Society about the important role sharks play in the ecosystem and how they're impacted by commercial fisheries. But first, I'll be speaking with Shannon Hurley, shark enthusiast and speaker on ocean conservation, currently working at the Victorian National Parks Association. I started by asking her what it is that she likes most about sharks. So to start us off, Shannon, could you tell me what it is that you love about sharks? They're just amazing creatures. Like to be to be face to face with a creature that has survived five mass extinctions and been around for over 450 million years is just incredible. And I think I've always had a fascination with, with animals that sort of are feared. And I've discovered there's a different story to tell about sharks when you actually get to know them many sharks can have a a playful and lovable side too and can you tell me about a time that you saw a shark being playful it was actually my first trip to the great barrier reef and we were we were all standing around in our boat uh, one night and we looked up and we see swimming towards our boat these like three kind of sandy colored sandy colored blobs swimming between us and they're actually what I like to call the puppy dogs of the sea, um, otherwise known as nurse sharks. And they were swimming straight for our boat and with their little mouths came on and sucked onto the back of the boat. Then they were just like looking up at us with like their tiny little button eyes and they were swimming around in circles. Like they looked to be playing with each other, um, whether that was the case or not, <laughs> uh, or it was some kind of other behaviour. To me, it just looked like the most adorable thing. And so for me, that was just a stark contrast, you know, from what we see a lot of things in movies and in the media. And for me, my experiences have been different. So I've seen the contrast and, um, you know, there are, you know, some species of shark which have had, you know, shark bites with humans. But then there's this whole lot of other species which are just like super lovable and playful to, to sort of be around. And, and that was my first Experience where I was like, hmm, hang on a second here. There's a lot more to sharks um, than just fear. And even the sharks with a bit of a reputation, you know, the great whites, the tiger sharks, are they really something we should be fearing? 
Mm, so that's a really good question, Megan, and I think there's a few different ways to answer that. I think if we didn't have any fear at all, that is obviously not a good thing either. There's an important balance. With fear comes a, a certain degree of precaution, and I think you know having precaution and being aware is a really good thing, particularly when it comes to swimming in the ocean, because it's really important to be aware of our surroundings and and to be aware and do our research. So, for example, if it's swimming in the oceans and we are we do have like a, a fear of sharks, I think you know sometimes that causes us to actually um, find out a bit about okay, well, what sort of sharks are sighted in this area? What are the most appropriate times to swim? And you know, where should I stick clear from? And I think that is a really good thing. But I think you know where where fear. Um, often fear can be taken on the other angle as well, where we're so fearful that we don't even, we just shut everything out. And I think that's the case where we're seeing with like movies such as Jaws that we're so fearful of sharks and we've never actually encountered a shark, you know, in real life for ourselves. And I think that too often these days we automatically dismiss or dislike something, or as we're seeing, we want to kill it. And so I think there's a next degree where this fear has to go a step beyond, which is to have a sense of curiosity. And so you told me beforehand that swimming with sharks has been a transformative experience for you and the way that you manage stress and anxiety. Could you tell us a bit more about that? There was this one particular time when I was living and working in Brisbane and I was on a scuba dive with a group of people from a a dive club and one day I was in about 30 metres of water about to swim into this cave um, you know, sort of go into this dark, into this darkness, and all of a sudden, this anxiety and this rush came over me when I was scuba diving and when I was thirty meters under the water. All of a sudden, I couldn't breathe, and I felt this panic attack come on, and um, and it was just this overwhelming emotion of, oh my gosh, like, am I, you know, am I going to be able to get to the surface here? I, I can't breathe. What am I going to do? And and in that moment was this feeling of, okay, scuba diving and, and, and seeing the beauty of the underwater life is, for me, it was one of the things that makes me most happy. And, and to have this feeling of, oh, my gosh, like this all of a sudden could be ripped away from me. Like what am I going to do in my life if I cannot do the thing that I love the most? And I guess I went on a bit of a journey and sort of started to realise that something's actually you know, not working for me here. and there was one particular trip I hadn't done yet and that was to travel to the Galapagos Islands off Ecuador and swim with the huge schools of hammerhead sharks. Like that was like one of my my goals in life was to do that and for me to have this realisation that, oh, I might not be able to do this if I can't get down and dive, if I have this anxiety that comes up that I'm not going to be able to breathe. And so I guess you could say that was my biggest fear. What had started off as my love of scuba diving became my fear and so I just kind of went with a went with a roller coaster, just worked through it, and I decided just to take the plunge. If I can just work through this, and if this is my last scuba dive I ever have in my life, I will be able to die happy that I've done the thing. And I can remember the feelings of anxiety and nervousness come up inside me. And finally, the day was here where I was on that boat, and we were about to send down the thirty meters below into the currents clean onto the rocks waiting for those hammerheads to come out of the blue and I can just put myself back in back in that situation right now and I'm feeling nervous but excited all at the same time talking myself through just breathing one breath at a time 
And eventually those sharks came out of the blue and they were swimming, gliding into the current just a metre or two in front of me. And it was literally, I was overwhelmed with positive energy all over my body to be seeing hammerheads in real life, these historic creatures. And so beautiful was like, I cannot even put that into words. And what I'd actually realised was that if I hadn't have had that experience of anxiety and and that fear then I wouldn't be where I am today because sharks actually pushed me through that and has really led to me wanting to spread the the awareness and importance of sharks in our lives and to be able to communicate that in a way to people um, that is just beyond this this fear that we can often have and there's something bigger and and beyond here and and that is such a powerful thing and I've learned to be really grateful for those fearful experiences because they can be transformed into something beyond what we can believe sometimes. And we're living in pretty extraordinary times, all being faced with fear and anxiety. What would you say to people out there who are struggling right now? Mm, So, yeah, I just wanted to totally agree that there's so much fear and anxiety in the world right now. And, um, and, and that's totally understandable and I think it's really important for people, if you are feeling that, to firstly recognise and acknowledge that. And I kept trying to push this fear and anxiety down. I just tried to, to really just push it down, um, try to pretend that it wasn't there and I could just move past it. But I, what I realised is that wasn't actually working for me. What I had to do to move through the fear and transform that into something was to actually befriend it you know, talk to the fear, make friends with it, you know, thank it for being there and actually acknowledging, you know, and, and even asking it, okay, well, what have you what have you come to, to teach me in this experience? And I think that once we really acknowledge that that fear is there um, and then actually realising that we have the power to transform that fear into something so much greater. And I think that at these times now we're really craving and we're, we're really needing to connect with nature. My advice would be to, to firstly, if you are feeling fear and anxiety, acknowledge it um, and, and try and befriend it and talk to it <laughs> in some capacity. And second of all, trying to connect with something that's um, that maybe outside of ourselves in a way that helps us to connect, connect with ourselves on a more deeper level. And sometimes that can be the things that we love. And, you know, for me, it's nature. And I'm assuming that many people listening to this podcast also have a love for nature. So what is it for you? And what can we do to protect sharks and respect their right to exist in this world? There are, there are many things that we can do to help their survival as a species. Like first, I just wanted to recognise not everyone loves sharks, right? But I think, you know, if you are one of those people who are not a fan of sharks, just take a step back and to realise that sharks have their place on this planet just like everything else. And the importance of sharks goes beyond way beyond, you know, sometimes those misunfortunate, you know, uh, I guess, interactions that humans can have with sharks. But sharks, they actually act as the immune systems of our oceans by keeping everything in balance and in check. And I think for particularly for Australia, you know, we are a country surrounded by ocean and we rely on a healthy ocean for our survival and as does the rest of the world. And sharks play such a crucial role into keeping our oceans healthy and we are dependent ourselves on the lives in the ocean and even if we don't live near the ocean you know from the oxygen that we're breathing right now actually the majority of the oxygen actually comes from the ocean so our lives are dependent on it no matter where we are in the world 
And so that's the first thing I, I want people to take away. And and the second of all is how everyone can help sharks, you know, in their everyday lives is um, looking at the, the foods that we eat and, and what we're consuming. And particularly if we are seafood lovers and, and we eat seafood, I think it's, um, you know, there's been a lot of research and monitoring of what actually happens out there in the oceans and and what it's found is that a lot of sharks are are caught by accident you know from commercial fishing practices um, that aren't done sustainably or responsibly and and even if we're um, for example eating an unsustainable species of tuna for example you know many sharks have actually been caught often by accident many of them actually get thrown back in the ocean as well and so it's really having this connection of, okay, what seafood are we eating and what has actually had to happen in the process of it getting on our plates and being a bit more mindful of that. And there is one thing that can actually help make it easy for us that if we are seafood lovers, um, there's a really simple tool called the Good Fish Sustainable Seafood Guide where you can download the app on your phone or, or look it up on a website at goodfish.org.au, which actually gives us the power as consumers to influence what happens out there on the oceans by choosing sustainable choices. And, um, and, and when it comes to sharks, I think given that their, their role that they play in the oceans and for our lives, we really have a duty of care to do what we can to protect these species. And, and eating sustainable seafood definitely is a, a, an easy way that we can all do that. Shannon Hurley from the Victorian National Parks Association. You're listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network. Today we're looking at the importance of sharks in a balanced ecosystem and what they can teach us about coming together through a global crisis. Next we have Dr Leonardo Guida, who got his PhD studying the effects of commercial fisheries on shark and ray populations. He now works as a shark conservationist at the Australian Marine Conservation Society. I started by asking him, what are the biggest risks facing sharks? What are the biggest threats facing shark populations in Australia? The the single biggest threat to shark and ray species across the world and in Australia is overfishing. Globally, 30% of all shark and ray species are threatened with extinction. And with the exception of reef corals, this is the highest amount of any form of marine life. Um, And in Australia, we have, you know, about, about 322 species of sharks and rays. That's a quarter of the world's shark and ray population. So we're what they call a biodiversity hotspot for sharks and rays. And half of the species we have here actually aren't found anywhere else in the world. So it really is up to us to um, to ensure that they receive the best protection as possible. And is climate change a factor? Climate change is undoubtedly going to affect sharks and rays, and we're only starting to beginning to understand that now. Um, and And impacts of climate change can include when species move from, say, tropical species move further south into cooler waters that are now starting to warm up. And we're starting to see a little bit of that happening here in Australia. For example, in Tasmania a few years ago, there was a sighting of a manta ray, and these aren't really seen much further south than Sydney. So the world world is changing, um, and largely because of us humans. Uh, But yes, overfishing and fishing pressure are perhaps the, the biggest threat for sharks and rays in Australia and the world. Why do Australian waters provide such unique habitat for sharks? So sharks have evolved 
and rays have evolved over 450 million years. They've survived five of the Earth's, you know, mass extinctions. And throughout that period, the Earth's continents and ocean basins have shifted and changed shapes. Um, and as a result of that, where Australia is positioned, um, much like some of our terrestrial species, we're quite isolated. So over this, you know, millions of years of evolution, Australia has a high amount of species that aren't found anywhere else in the world. So most of them actually occur sort of in the southern regions of Australia's oceans along the continental shelf. And again, this is largely because as Australia's moved through geological time, as long with the, as well as the oceans, we've more or less been isolated. And as a result, some species have kind of stayed in certain areas. What role do sharks play in maintaining ecosystem health? Sharks are typically apex predators, um, so they're the top of the food chain usually. And as a result, uh, they keep food webs in check and in balance. And without them, food webs can potentially become unstable and ultimately collapse. Uh, but we're actually starting to learn more and more about how sharks interact with their environment and the ecosystem. And another really cool thing they do is they actually influence the behaviour of other fish and animals around them. Um, and this in turn helps that food web become so dynamic. Uh, a really cool thing I always like to talk about is how sharks and the way they behave, they're actually climate change heroes. Um, and a great example is the tiger shark. So the, 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 in uh, WA around Shark Bay, there's a lot of seagrass meadows um, and tiger sharks kind of come in. And when they come in, dugongs who typically sort of graze on the seagrass all of a sudden become a lot more alert. Um, they're more concerned about sort of being eaten by a tiger shark than eating the seagrass itself. So as a result, um, when dugongs are more alert because there's a tiger shark in the area, they actually won't eat as much seagrass. They'll move from patch to patch. Now, this is really important because seagrass draws down um, approximately, I think, 40%. It, it, the, the carbon drawdown compared to a tropical rainforest is about 40% faster. So they're a big store for carbon. Um, and so indirectly, tiger sharks are actually helping seagrass sort of maintain their area and draw down carbon. And the other benefit is, is that seagrass is a really important uh, nursery for a lot of juvenile fish. So the big tiger sharks are actually even looking out for the little guys and allowing them to grow up in a, in a quite a healthy environment. When did your personal interest in sharks begin? I've had an obsession with sharks since I was knee high to a grasshopper um, and definitely for as long as I can remember. My earliest memories are as a kid at primary school watching great white documentaries on National Geographic and raiding the libraries and looking at pictures and just trying to find as much information as possible. And as I got older, I was fortunate enough to do a PhD at Monash University where I looked at the effects of commercial fishing on sharks and rays. Um, and through that experience, you know, I was diving in Port Phillip Bay. I got to see sharks, like gummy sharks. I swam with fiddler rays. Um, and I even went over to South Africa for a conference and had the most amazing experience of swimming with a whale shark and a great white shark. So the more and more I, I physically interacted with sharks, the more and more my love grew and the more and more I knew that it was incredibly important that we do as much as we can to protect these species, um, not just for the sake of sharks themselves, but also for the, for the health of our oceans and, you know, the industries and even the local communities that depend on ocean health. And you mentioned your PhD. So you studied the effects that commercial fisheries have on shark and ray populations. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Sure. I looked at how sharks get stressed out when they're caught, how their body reacts to the stress of being captured and what this means um, 
physiologically or biologically for when, you know, are, are they going to survive? Are they going to die? And kind of taking blood samples and looking at, you know, are there certain aspects of their biology that we can use to predict whether they're going to die or not? Um, and from these results, um, then suggest ways that we can fish better that improves the survival of sharks, but still allows us to actually catch the fish we need um, to live off. Um, another really interesting thing I looked at uh, was also how the stress of capture affects pregnant sharks, but in particular, I, I used fiddler rays. And fiddler rays, um, you know, they have about three to four embryos that, that grow inside them in their uteri. And I simulated what it was like to go through a trawling um, for these fiddler rays. And what we found was is that after the stress of capture, yes, mum survived, um, and yes, she still gave birth to some of her to her young. But we found that very much like us humans that experience a great deal of stress during pregnancy, uh, her offspring were actually smaller and the weight of mum after she'd given birth was lighter. So what this means is that the impact of fishing goes beyond just killing sharks, either in the immediate term or once they've been released and down the track. It actually can also affect um, their reproduction. So, again, more research is needed to to refine and continually improve our fishing practices so that we can fish for the future and have healthy oceans. And what kind of fishing practices are you advocating to be adopted? It's it's, 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 it's a great question you ask. Um, and there are three sort of main methods of fishing. Um, long lining, which is essentially a long line with dangling hooks. Um, trawling, which is basically having a scoop net and either scouring the ocean floor or even in the middle of the water column. And you've also got gill netting, which, which is nets in the water that, that entangle animals. Um, these fishing methods are used depending on what kind of fish or seafood um, fishes are targeting. So it's not so much advocating for one method over another, so to speak. It's more that with any method that's used, um, we develop the best practices possible. So an example for long lining might be that um, when you set out your hooks, um, you know, you might only set them out for two hours instead of 10. Um, and this means that when you catch animals like sharks, they've got a better chance of survival having been on the hook for a limited amount of time versus an extended period of time. For gill nets, um, it might mean that we don't set nets in critical habitats, say for other animals like turtles or dugongs that can easily get tangled and drowned. Um, and for, for fishing methods like trawling, we make sure that we have these special escape hatches that have been coined turtle excluder devices um, or TEDs. And these escape hatches um, enable animals like dolphins and turtles that get caught in the nets to actually swim out before they get pushed into the back. So what we have to do is, is that any method of fishing that we use, we have to scrutinise it and make sure that the impact it has on the broader environment is as minimal as possible. And any animals that are accidentally caught do have the best chance of survival. And are we seeing these kinds of practices being broadly adopted or are there still major issues within the fishing industry? Um, we are seeing these practices adopted um, in fisheries throughout Australia, but that's not to say that um, all the fisheries are operating to the best they can be. Um, for example, in Queensland, um, in the East Coast fishery, so this is a fishery that predominantly uses gill nets, um, so fishing nets in other words, and this form of fishing is used right up and down the Great Barrier Reef and, you know, we're still seeing turtles, dolphins and dugongs being caught um, accidentally and drowned and the numbers that they're reporting are unreliable because there's no independent observation on the boats to actually verify the numbers. So that's an example of where there's quite a lot of room for improvement there. 
But in saying that, we also look at um, a net fishery down in uh, Corner Inlet. So Australian Marine Conservation Society, we have the Good Fish Sustainable Seafood Guide um, and we showcased a fishery down there, a net fishery of all things, um, down in Corner Inlet, which was operating um, as best as possible. And this involves, you know, fishing in certain areas, um, the fisher attending his net, keeping an eye on it. Um, if any species that he doesn't want are caught, they're released as soon as possible. So there are improvements across across Australia, but there's also a lot of fisheries that require improvements. And how is the Marine Conservation Society working to protect sharks and build sustainable fisheries in general? So I'm a lead of our Shark Champions campaign, and if anyone's uh, interested in having a look at it, it's sharkchampions.org.au. Um, and this is a multi-year campaign in collaboration uh, with Humane Society International. And this campaign looks at shark conservation across the country. So in particular, we're looking at improving um, and supporting the Queensland government through their sustainable fisheries reform um, across the state itself. Um, We're ensuring that Australia's anti-finning laws are as strong as they can be and improving those. Uh, And we're also looking at um, threatened species uh, across the country. So as I mentioned earlier, the endemic species, the ones that aren't found anywhere else, a lot of these quirky characters are found in the deep sea. Um, They're vulnerable to trawling and they're kind of our, uh, they're little known and and, um, there there really is a need to bring them to to the public awareness to to improve protection for them. So we're looking at that as well. So it's quite, I suppose it's quite comprehensive. um, And in a nutshell, we're working towards continually improving protection of sharks, sustainable fishing, and also making sure that, yeah, our fisheries are operating as best as possible. Dr Leonardo Guida from the Australian Marine Conservation Society. You've been listening to Earth Matters, Community Radio's National Environmental Justice Program. I'm Megan Williams. If you missed any of today's show, you can catch up on our podcast at 3cr.org.au slash earthmatters. Or if you're listening via iTunes or any other podcasting service, why not rate us and leave a review? It helps us get the word out. The song today was Ocean by John Butler. Earth Matters would like to thank the Community Broadcasting Foundation for their financial support and the Community Radio Network for getting the program out to you. Earth Matters is produced in the studios of 3CR on Wurundjeri Country. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can send us an email, earthmatters3cr at gmail.com, or go to our Facebook page. And we'll see you next time.